What's going on, everybody? It's your buddy. It's your pal, Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check. A very, very, very tired Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check. Here with a podcast that is not the way I wanted to do this particular thing. Busy wrestling weekend, as we know. No uh, surrender. And the Elimination Chamber happened within about 12 hours of each other or so. Here was my plan, guys. Here was my plan. I had Friday off, so I rested up. I was going to watch No Surrender, record my thoughts on No Surrender, put that up for you guys, take a nap, watch Elimination Chamber, give you guys a pod on that, and call it a weekend, content-wise. So what happened was, I watched No Surrender, I recorded my thoughts on No Surrender, I edited it, I put it all together, and somehow, because I'm a dumbass, ended up deleting it. Because I'm an idiot. And because I'm not doing two pods back to back and I already have no voice and I'm already really grumpy from going on no sleep, you're getting one pod for both shows. And the first half of it's going to sound like a rush through because I've already done it once. So here we go. Let's talk about TNA No Surrender. TNA No Surrender was a good show. I thought going into it, what uh, <coughs> what's it going to be like? What's everybody's headspace going to be? like uh, everything post the whole Scott Demore thing. If you want my thoughts on the Scott Demore thing, go check out the No Surrender preview pod that I did. I covered all my thoughts on that, which is basically, in a nutshell, I just want everybody to be happy and be okay. Uh, I touched on the fact that they've, they've re-signed uh, Josh Alexander for another year. I don't know whether that was their choice or his. I won't speculate because it would be wrong to do so. But yeah, no, if you want a much more in-depth uh, view of my thoughts of the whole Scott Demore thing. Looking at it very much from the outside, uh, I did that in the preview. It's the first sort of five minutes of the preview, so if you want to check that out, you can. But Sean Rossap of Fightful put up on Twitter a video from before the show started where Eric Young led the entire crowd, or sorry, the entire roster out onto the stage and didn't address Scott Demore specifically, but he talked about change and loss, and when you lose somebody, you lose important people, you can either be lost with them or move forward. He was very determined, very pro-TNA, very pro-we're-gonna-keep-going. Uh, I mean, he looped it into the name of the pay-per-view. He's like, oh, for everybody that's been calling for TNA's downfall, you will get no surrender. But it was a rally cry for himself and the wrestlers and the fans to the to the point where he was swearing a bit and he made a point of saying, yeah, the show hasn't started yet, I can swear if I want to. And halfway through, he sort of just said, you know, give me a minute. And he sort of had to collect himself before he kept talking. So it was, while they looped it into the pay-per-view at the end, it was very real at the beginning. And I've already said it once, I'll say it again, uh, if this is Eric Young's role just to keep everybody, you know, to keep the family together, so to speak, and keep the roster together through all this change that they're going through. The guy, if you're not going to bring Scott Demore back, put Eric Young in his position. Don't put a random TV wingnut in there. Now, one of the things that I speculated on the, on the preview that I did was we're going to get a payoff to this Nemeth and Macklin thing. I didn't know that Nemeth wasn't there. We'll touch on that in a second. But what we did get was their associates in a match. It was the Rascals versus Speedball Mountain. And I joked around on social media saying, hey, let's do a checklist of everybody that I've sat front row at Destiny to go see. Check it off your Spaz Phoenix bucket list. It's fine. Because I've seen Trey Miguel. I've seen Speedball Mike Bailey. I've seen Trent Seven. Uh, Trey Miguel was the inaugural Destiny Next Generation champion. 
Speedball signed his Impact contract in a Destiny ring, uh, and Trent Seven signed his TNA contract in a in a not in a Destiny ring, but in a ring at the Don Kolov where Destiny stuff takes place. Really good match. Uh, you, you Speedball should be going for a singles title. I'm just saying. Uh, Trent Seven being sort of the grounded guy in the group because he's the biggest, and I think he's a bit older. Let's be real. Trent Seven, I only know really from what we saw in NXT UK and NXT, so I see him more as a tag team guy, so sticking him with Speedball, because Tyler Bate is in WWE, is a nice move. Speedball gets to go in there and do his crazy shit, and the Rascals are a lot of fun. The Rascals are, you know, it's, it's always, I'm always going to say it, Zachary Wentz got fucked by political correctness and WWE bending to politically correctness. So me seeing him succeed is like me seeing Johnny Depp succeed. And it's like me seeing Gina Carano succeed. It's like me seeing Roseanne succeed. It's like you don't get to steal somebody's life away because you don't like their opinion or you don't like what they may have done. It's, it's just a thing. So if you see me talking about the Rascals and being incredibly happy for them, A, Trey Miguel's awesome. So is Zachary Wentz, but Zachary Wentz has my backing because he got fucked, and I don't like to see people get fucked. Oh, yes. Uh, but they are associated with Steve Macklin, and Steve Macklin came in towards the end of the match with a stealth chop block on Speedball Mike Bailey that led to the submission victory for the Rascals. Now, you might say, well, there's five guys there. Where's the sixth guy? Where's the sixth member of what I'm assuming will either be a one-on-one -on -one or a trios match sometime in the future because... I'm not a IWGP guy, but apparently Nick Nemeth is the new IWGP Global Champion. Somebody tell me what that is down in the box below and what the uh, what the value of that is. I'm not saying it's not valuable. I'm just saying I'm a little bit ignorant on the topic. I would love some, some feedback from you guys. But as I say, and it's not the first time I'm going to say this tonight, uh, one of the first big names to leave WWE and not get immediately scooped up by the AEW machine... Love to see him succeed. We're going to be on a slow crawl towards him getting a shot at the TNA World Championship, and I'm going to touch on that more a bit later. Now, that was one of the matches I thought we were going to get. I thought we were going to get Macklin versus Nemeth on this show. Didn't know about the IWGP stuff. The other thing that I didn't, uh, I wasn't sure about, but I was pretty sure it was going to be announced on Thursday. By the way, I didn't see Impact on Thursday. Life gets in the way sometimes. Was Eric Young versus Kaz. And not only did they they solidify that that match was happening, <coughs> they made it official, so to speak, to use Adam Pierce language. Uh, they made it a number one contenders match. So these guys went in as the opening match on the actual card, because Rascals and Speedball Mountain was on the kickoff. And they went at it. It was a great match. Uh, what's his name? Kazarian cornering Jay Chung, the ring announcer, before the match started and demanding that he be announced as the new king of TNA was a great point. He's got new music. They did accredit the, uh, the group that has done his new music. I didn't write it down because I'm a moron. Uh, but it's pretty good. It just sort of one more step towards solidifying his heel turn if we hadn't already. It's kind of crazy because... Eric Young is the guy that comes out crazy with the scary music and the and the and the dim mood and the mask and everything, and he's the good guy. So um, so that's an interesting dynamic, and the match went for a long time, which gave Matthew Raywalt and 
Tom Hannafin a lot of time to talk about the history between these two. I didn't know because I wasn't watching it from the very, very beginning. I didn't know that EY and Kazarian had been a tag team at one point, that they had debuted in TNA as a tag team, that they had even held tag team gold together. I wasn't aware of that, so so kudos to them for that. Um, the match comes to an end in a very, very, you know, character over in-ring work kind of way. Kaz thinks he's got him put away, goes for a count, it's only a two count. He argues with the referee, which allows Eric Young to come back with this really sort of snap crucifix roll-up thing for the win. Now, number one part of that story is Eric Young is now going to be the number one contender to the TNA World Championship at Sacrifice, which is in like two weeks. And I think it's in Canada. It's not It's not close enough to me that I'm going to go see it, but it is in Canada. It's another Friday show, which is a little bit eh, but um, I'm not going to tell them what to do. The better part about all this was Kazarian like snapping at the ref. And it's not like a typical, like, oh, you kick the ref in the nuts or you shove him down and you walk away. No, this he, he beat the living shit out of the referee um, until the other members of the referee corps and some of the security guards came in and pulled him away. Later on, on social media, he went on to say that piece of shit deserved it. That's what happens when you get in the way of my, you know, my path to the TNA championship and being the king of TNA. I thought that was, that was really, really good. I think Kazarian is another one of those guys. He's not he's not screwed over in the same way as somebody like a Zachary Wentz, but I think he went to AEW when AEW was just a thing and they sort of teased this idea that he was going to be the elite hunter and then they never gave his character any balls. So he just kind of floated for a little while and for him to come back home back when it was Impact, for him to be a good guy just long enough to get them over the TNA hump to get one pay-per-view where he got cheered for being a TNA good guy before launching into this heel turn. The timing is absolutely perfect, quite honestly. Um, so he's going to have a story where he's taken out his failures on everybody. Uh, Eric Young's going to go on to face the TNA world champion in two weeks up here in Canada, so he'll get the hometown reaction, etc. Grizzled Young Veterans versus ABC. Um exactly what I wanted it to be. Grizzled Young Veterans were like the beat-down guys, were the technical joint manipulation, hard-hitting brawler guys, and Grizzled Young or sorry, and the ABC were the opposite side of the coin. They were the more flamboyant, more athletic, more ac acrobatic uh, motor scene machine guns slash Young Hardys-esque team, and you got exactly what you wanted out of both of these teams. Now, I predicted that Grizzled Young Veterans would win, because they were one apiece in the... Uh, in the tournament, it was a best of three series, it wasn't even really a tournament, um, the Grizzled Young Veterans used a foreign object in the first match to get the win, um, ABC got the second win even though Ace Austin had been injured in the match, so they sort of failed under bad circumstances and then succeeded under bad circumstances, so one more thing and you're on your way to the races. Now the ABC got the win. Um, couple of spots I uh, worth noting here. There was an awesome double submission spot by the Grizzly Young Veterans, where one of them was sort of something generic. I think it was like a leg lock or a, or a Boston Crab or something like that. But the other one was the Shankly Gates. And I forgot what a cool what a cool maneuver the Shankly Gates is. And then later on in the match, um, they had a really, really good second row lung blower into a coast-to-coast -coast combination that really led you to believe, okay, these guys are fucking dead. But, <coughs> excuse me, Ace Austin grabbed the scarf, and he choked Zach Gibson for just a second, just to tilt the odds in their favor, and then they hit the 1-2-3, the art of finesse, the fold, and the pin 
for the win. Now, they pulled off something really quite successful here because the good guys shouldn't be doing bad guy underhanded stuff, but they played it off in such a way that everybody knew and they trusted the audience to know that this isn't the good guys cheating, this is the good guys giving the bad guys their comeuppance. You know, anything you can do, I can do better, whatever you want to say. Um, really cool. I'd love to see where they go with this next. I'd love to see Speedball Mountain, the Rascals, and a couple of other teams back in the mix here. But this is a this is a feud that can definitely keep going. I don't know when the ABC stopped using the Bullet Club music. Have I just not been paying attention? Has that been going on for a while, or is that something new? Throw it down in the box below. Next up. PCO versus Khan. I didn't see all of it because at this point I'm watching on uh, Fight or should I say Triller by Fight or whatever the fuck it's called now. Um, the stream cut on me a lot during this match and I had to play a lot of catch up. And uh, on Triller, you actually have the chat window that's going next to the pay per view as it's playing. So I got into a couple of cool conversations with the people in that chat. So on the absolutely zero chance that any of you are listening to this pod right now, Nice conversations with you guys. It was a lot of fun. But I did miss a bunch of this match. It was what I thought it would be. It was two big guys hitting each other a bunch and doing athletic shit that big athletic guys shouldn't be able to do. PCO doing the uh, the uh, top rope swantons to the apron and cracking his own back is always going to make me just cringe a little bit. But... It did not go into no DQ territory like I thought it would. I figured with these two guys, either they'll announce at the last minute that it is a no DQ, or they'll just play up the story that the referee knows these guys can't be controlled, so we'll just sort of let the let the freak flag fly. But it didn't. Khan attacked PCO with a chair. There was a disqualification on the outside of the ring. He did the neck snap. The ring, uh, sorry, the timekeeper kept on ringing the bell, thinking it would stop him. It wouldn't. For the second time, some uh, TNA staff got beaten up because Khan grabbed the timekeeper and beat the shit out of the timekeeper, which shouldn't make me laugh, but it did. He gave him the neck snap again, carried him up to the rampway, carried him up to the stage where they have the tunnel. I'm so glad they kept the tunnel. The tunnel is badass. Zip-tied his hand to the entranceway of the tunnel and then did the neck snap again with a steel chair necktie. And that's... That'll 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 do it. I mean, you wrap your head in a steel chair and twist it off like a fucking bottle cap. That's that can be a finisher, even on a guy that's already dead. What am I saying? What am I saying? MK Ultra versus Decay for the Knockouts Tag Team Titles was awesome. Both teams are crazy. Neither teams are really the good guy or the bad guy. Although in the previous weeks leading up, MK Ultra have been a little bit more underhanded. Um, Decay has had some help here and there from the new team of Jody Threat and Danny Luna, which we'll get to in a second. But overall, really, really fun match. Um, MK Ultra got their titles back, which kind of tells an interesting story. Hard to kill. MK Ultra sort of were in an impromptu open challenge where they were answered by Decay. Decay coming back in their Rosemary and Havoc versions of of themselves um and they could they could always say well we weren't prepared we weren't prepared for this if we had been prepared um you know it wouldn't have been so easy for you guys and a victory in them getting their titles back kind of proves that right and the good heel characters are the ones that always have a little bit of truth in what they're saying now 
they went on to beat down Decay after the match, after they had already won their titles back, and uh, Jody Threat Danny Luna came down for the save. So there's a little bit of mutual respect between Decay and the team of Threat and Luna. Now, there's two things I want out of this. First of all, I want to see these three, te three teams in a three-way match. But, <clears throat> more specifically, with all due respect to their respective tag team partners, I need to see either a Lethal Lockdown or a Full Metal Mayhem or a um, something of that description between just Rosemary and Killer Kelly because their opponent chemistry, just the two of them, is fantastic. If you don't go back and watch anything else that I'm talking about right now, go back and watch their sequences within this match because Killer Kelly and Rosemary look like they are almost designed to feud with each other. I wouldn't mind throwing a singles title between those two. No disrespect to uh, Jordan Grace, who we're going to talk about later, but make that a triple threat. Rosemary, Killer Kelly, and Jordan Grace. There's a spoiler. Jordan Grace is still the champion, but we knew that was going to happen. Um, Josh Alexander versus Simon Gotch. This was your, if you're going to section off the pay-per-view into this is this match, this is this match, this is the crazy match, this is the legacy match, this is the high-flying match. Well, this was your insanely technical match. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Simon Gotch, but you guys know what I think about Josh Alexander at this point. Josh Alexander is a wrestling machine. Josh Alexander, and I said it in my last podcast that is now gone to the, the wasteland of, of, of technology, Josh Alexander is the guy that walks into any company, and I mean any company, be it TNA, be it Destiny, be it WWE, including NXT, be it AEW, including ROH. Josh Alexander walks into your company, it changes your company. It, it just does. He's that He's that kind of guy. And, and by all means, Simon Gotch was the match for him in this, because Simon Gotch is a little unseemly, a little uh, unstable looking, and uh, backed up entirely by Matthew Raywalt, the former Aiden English, being on commentary, being able to speak to Simon Gotch's instability. There was a lot of references to NXT at, to the point where he came uh, around to commentary where Matthew Raywalt was doing the commentary, and he says, we're manly, and it's one of those if you know, you know things, and uh, Raywalt on commentary, you know, repeatedly referring to him as a villain, you know, as an Avod villain, and talking about how he's always been a colorful character, even when he was in black and white, which is, which is really cool, I like that, I really do like that, uh, I forgot to mention in the other match, uh, Khan in the PCO match, also, from NXT, from his Ascension days, whatever. Now, I like the Ascension, and I like black and gold NXT, you guys know that, but Khan, as he is right now, is way more of a fucking beast than I would have even considered him back then. So take from that what you will. Insane technical match. Alexander gets the win, which I didn't think was ever in any doubt. The other thing that I was going to say is um, the Wrestling Observer Awards came out in the past couple of days. I don't really follow the Wrestling Observer. I don't. I get my stuff from NoDQ and, and uh, uh, what culture mostly. But uh, the awards are out, and everybody's all wound up because Triple H and Nick Khan and WWE won a bunch of those <coughs> awards that I know Tony Khan covets because WWE's just better. I don't know what you want me to say. But uh, Brian Danielson got, like, Wrestler of the Year or something something in, in that vernacular, and it was retweeted by Josh Alexander, um, and I'm going to mess this up, but I think he said something along the lines of, it's Danielson's world and we're all just living in it, and immediately, 
my first thought is, I don't care if it's in TNA, I don't care if it's in AEW, I don't care if it's in my fucking backyard, I need to see Josh Alexander versus Brian Danielson before Brian... If Brian Danielson's retiring, that's a match I need before he retires. Just putting it out there. Uh, the match was great. Like I said, um, Alexander, they announced earlier this week they've extended his contract by a year. I hope they've got some really cool stuff for him. I didn't really think that this, this match was ever in any doubt, but it didn't take away from it either. The next match was the world title match, and this is another thing that I didn't know ahead of time when I was doing the preview because I didn't watch this week's episode of Impact. But the match was set to be a no-surrender match, which means there's no pinfall, no submission, no countout, no disqualification. Uh, both competitors would have cornermen in the case of... In the case of Moose, it was the system, obviously, and in the case of Alex Shelley, it was Kushida and Brian Knight, and the idea being that the match only ends when your cornerman throws in your towel so that the other person can win. Now, it was no DQ, but if there was a disqualification, that would be a forfeiture of the title, so it was no DQ, but it was still no DQ only between those two combatants, and I went into this thinking that this was an insanely cool concept from a storytelling point of view, from a psychology point of view. Uh, it wasn't until the end, I mean, they did, they did cool hand stuff at the beginning. Um, Shelly put Moose's fingers through the eye of the bolt of the turnbuckle and then proceeded to pull back his fingers with a, with an adjustable wrench, which was nice. And then Moose put Shelly's hand in the actual turnbuckle and smashed it with a chair like four or five times. So neither one of these guys has hands anymore. That's the story. Um, but it wasn't until the end where I thought this is a really cool concept that doesn't really have a cool ending, if that makes sense. It's like People always say that a no disqualification, or sorry, a false count anywhere match can't have a dramatic ending because the ending of a false count anywhere match is the referee counting to 10. It's not either one of them actually doing anything. And I don't necessarily think that that's always true. And I don't necessarily think that this is a harbinger of things to come. But at the end, towards the end of the match, Moose wrapped himself in a chain over his one shoulder and just kept spearing Alex Shelley until Kushida stood up on the apron and eventually just threw in it. I love, the, I love the fact that they had official towels. One of them was white, one of them was green for the respective... <coughs> excuse me, for the respective teams. Kushida just came and sort of, like, didn't even want to look at Shelly because he knew he was costing his buddy the title, and he just... He didn't even throw it. He just kind of, like, dropped it in the ring and left. And, I mean... Moose gets to look dominant as we sort of pulled away from that scene. You kind of saw the beaten down Alex Shelley arguing with Kushida. Why would you do that? I would never give up. Blah, 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 blah. It was... I feel bad saying this because, like I said, the match itself was good. The two guys in there worked really hard. The psychology of arguing with your opponent's cornermen as much as you argue with your opponent... Um, was kind of cool. The way that they both sort of either had their cornermen make weapons available or take weapons away without laying a hand on somebody, and it became very specific as the story went on. I think all of that's really intriguing. I think, the psycho like I said, the psychology point of view is 
you got to beat the shit out of somebody until somebody else that's watching thinks he can't have enough anymore. I think there's an insanely cool story to tell there. I just think that this one kind of ended on a wet fart. And I'm sorry. I like everybody involved, too, which makes me feel really bad for saying that. Uh, it also means... Uh, we have one match set for Sacrifice already, and that's Moose defending his TNA Championship against Eric Young, which should be a lot of fun. As I say, it'll be up here in Canada, and I think EY will get an insane home hometown-slash-home-country reaction. Um, but that was not the main event by any stretch of the imagination. The next thing we had was the TNA Knockouts Championship match, and it was Jordan Grace versus Giselle Shaw. Giselle Shaw... Uh, cashing in her ultimate X that she won at Hard to Kill. Before the match even started, out came Ash by Elegance and George Iceman. As I've said, I don't want to overshadow Ash by Elegance because I think the former Dana Brooke coming and getting a new place to shine is awesome. But I've met Iceman. And the last Impact show happened to be in the Don Koloff Arena, the home of Destiny Wrestling. And I got to sit with him in the front row through most of the main event and just talk about how awesome wrestling is. So seeing him as a character on my TV now is fucking great. And the guy is in this in this way over-the-top manager, concierge uh, role that he's doing right now. He's the fucking goat. If you don't agree with me, argue with a wall. The dude is, the dude is awesome. Um, unfortunately, Jordan Grace versus Giselle Shaw was another sort of special foregone conclusion match. It was, to me, and this isn't a dig at Giselle Shaw, this was a very, very long squash match to me. Uh, Jordan Grace, I'm not usually a gear guy, Jordan Grace came out in this awesome, like, white and gold ring gear that made it look like her title belt was just part of her ring gear. I thought that was really cool. She's a monster, as we've said enough times already. Um, I'm still hoping that her appearance in the Royal Rumble this year leads to more working together with TNA and WWE, but we'll see where that goes. Giselle Shaw did, at one point, hit a really, really crisp-looking Spanish fly from the apron to the floor, which looked like it wrecked both of them. But, I mean, Jordan Grace wins with the Juggernaut Driver, and what else do you want me to say, realistically speaking? Like I said, um, if I get my fantasy booking, throw her in a three-way with Rosemary and Killer Kelly, and we will have a good fucking time. Or Jody Threat. Give, give Jody Threat a title shot. That could be fun. Now, the main event. The main event was Chris Sabin versus Mustafa Ali for the X-Division Championship. Now, that sounds cool enough, but break it down in parts. This is... Post-WWE Mustafa Ali, no matter what he does, people are going to they're gonna sink their teeth into that, oh my god, WWE never used him properly, and then they held him hostage, and da-da-da-da-da, so we're going to cheer whatever he does. Plus the fact that he's genuinely a fantastic wrestler. I'm going to see him in a week or so at Destiny, taking on El Diablo Gabriel Fuerza. It's going to be awesome. Um, so this is the first time I've seen him outside of WWE. This is his debut in TNA. He's debuting in the main event of a pay-per-view in a title match, and they made a point of hitting it over the head all night long. This is the first time the X-Division Championship has main-evented a pay-per-view in TNA since Unbreakable 2005, which, for those of you that need a quick history lesson, is the famous match that is still talked about today, AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels versus Samoa Joe. So an insane pat on the back for Mustafa, the debuting Mustafa Ali, who uh, won the match. 
Um, top rope snap suplex, 450 splash. Ali gets the win. We go off the air with Ali holding up the X Division Championship. It's the age of Ali, you know, in Ali, we trust or whatever. But that wasn't, like, the stories that went on in this match were really cool, and they sort of overshadowed the result, even though the result was cool. Now, Mustafa Ali has been doing all these 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 promos and trailer videos and all these types of things, and it's very, very clearly a satire on Donald Trump. At one point, he, uh, he even says he wants to make the X Division great again, so... He must be a heel. He's quoting Donald Trump. Uh, very subtle political messaging there by the wrestling world, as usual. He comes out with bodyguards and Secret Service guys with the earpieces in and all that, and that's really hysterical. At some point in the match, the good hands, who are like followers of his that are sent out there to look like MAGA idiots. Let's be real for a second. That's what they were sent out there to do, because wrestling is not subtle with its messaging whatsoever. The whole thing is great. And the whole thing is, he's he's being this obnoxious, sort of MAGA, Trump-esque character, and he's being a dick to Chris Sabin. But as I say, outside of character, the whole wrestling world is just happy for him not to be in WWE anymore. So the more of a dick he is, the more we kept the more they kept cheering for him. Which for Chris Sabin, the ten time X Division champion, the guy that has held every iteration of that X Division title belt, the one who is defending TNA against this, you know, invader, this bad guy with all of his bad morals and his Trumpiness was getting booed and watching Chris Sabin throughout this match I was like is it gonna throw it didn't look like it threw him off it looked like it pissed him off but it didn't look like it threw him off in the slightest the match was fantastic the match like the bell to bell work between the two was fantastic the interference from the good hands and uh at one point Chris Sabin goes for something off the top rope to the outside and all the security guards just stand in front of him. And even uh, Matthew Raywalt on commentary saying, well, that's what a good security team does, isn't it? <laughs> like, this is so fucking good. And uh, maybe a harbinger of things to come outside of wrestling. Wait, did I say that? Yeah, I think I, I think I said that. The show overall was a lot of fun. As I said, I said it at the beginning and I'll say it again now. Post this Scott Demore stuff, I hope everybody's doing good. I hope everybody's coping in whatever way that they need to cope. I hope Scott Demore is doing okay, as, as I say this very, very much from an outsider's perspective. The show was a lot of fun. We've already got a main event set for Sacrifice with Eric Young taking on Moose, and we will see where other things, where other things go. I want to know, I want to know the next big opponent for Josh Alexander. I want to see the Nemeth Macklin thing maybe come to a head, maybe if that comes to, to a head two weeks later in Canada, maybe he comes to the ring with his IWGP global world title, whatever the heck it is. Very, very, very cool. I think it's kind of funny that, and for Matt Riddle, I don't even know what title it is, so don't quote me on this. I think it's kind of cool that three people that left WWE and experienced various levels of success or various levels of success and fame in WWE uh, were removed from WWE and all have gold now. Matt Riddle just won some kind of belt. I read it on a headline. I don't really pay attention, but people are mad that he has a belt because you know politically correct fucking nonsense. Um, Mustafa Ali has this. 
Dolph Ziggler slash Nick Nemeth has this IWGP Global title, and he's going to go on the long trail towards Moose and probably pick up the TNA title at some point as well. So it's really cool to see all these cast-offs, you know, the ones that didn't end up in, in AEW, you know, AEW, the company that saves everybody, the ones that didn't end up in AEW are all doing pretty okay for themselves. And I, I think... I just think that's tops. No, it's, it's really cool. It's awesome. Now, switching over to WWE and the Elimination Chamber, which I watched very, very tired, so my notes are going to suck on all of this. You guys are going to have to ex excuse me in advance. Another match I didn't know about when I was doing previews, like back on Wednesday, was Adam Pearce came as a surprise to Indy Hartwell and let Indy Hartwell and Candice LeRae know that they were getting a shot at Asuka and Kyrie. I didn't preview it and I didn't see it because I missed the kickoff. I only saw about half of SmackDown. I saw Braun Breaker's debut against Dante Chen and holy fuck he ate that dude's lunch, but <coughs> what else What else were you really going to say about that? The Warriors retain. Indy Hartwell got to perform in front of her home country, which is awesome. Candice LeRae got to, I guess, come along for the ride. Um, I don't know what to say about it because I didn't see it. That's that's it. Women's Chamber opened the show. Uh, Becky Lynch, Tiffany Stratton, Bianca Belair, Naomi, Raquel Rodriguez, and Liv Morgan. And holy shit, watch the press conference and then listen to the crowd on this show. Tiffany Stratton is over as hell. Tiffany Stratton got cheered over Bianca Belair in this match and in the press conference that was held the day before, which makes me smile a lot. You don't have to like Bianca Belair. I'm just saying. Um... Becky and Naomi were the ones to start. They made a point of mentioning on commentary that they were tag team partners at one point, and they've feuded at various points. Naomi, not her fault. Let me be clear. This is not a dig at her. Her whole glow-in-the-dark, raver, I-want-to-be-Jeff-Hardy entrance doesn't work in daylight. I'm just putting it out there. Um, Tiffany comes in. Liv Morgan comes in. Both of them, Tiffany and Liv Morgan, go in there and they know they have something to prove. Becky Lynch is made, Naomi's made, Bianca Belair is made, Raquel Rodriguez is made, Liv Morgan is wanting to get made. She has a sort of a cult following online that turns around and gets made fun of, I guess. I don't really I don't really get that. I think she's fucking awesome. And I mean, she just came back from an injury and a very, very stupid arrest for having a little bit of pot in her car, so fuck all that noise. Let's support Liv Morgan. But also, Tiffany Stratton manages to be one of the best wrestlers in the match while keeping up the whole, like, Barbie doll, daddy's girl gimmick, which is awesome. Becky put a disarmer on Tiffany Stratton at, at one point through the chains of the cage, and that looked really, really good. Tiffany pins Naomi. Naomi tried to do a top rope something. Tiffany rolled her up for a pin. Raquel and Bianca both joined the match, and I will say this, and again, I have to specify, this is not a dig at Bianca. We know Bianca's a powerhouse. We've seen her chuck people around like empty tracksuits to borrow an, an Adam Nicholas expression. She tried to make hitting the KOD on Raquel Rodriguez, her main point in this match. And every time she did it, it wasn't that she was struggling to get Raquel up. We know she can lift up Raquel. We know physically she's a she's a beast. Like, I would not fuck with Bianca Belair. Okay, I'll put my hands up in the air and say it. But every time she did it, it looked like she didn't quite have her feet under her. 
and I was just it, it, it was one of those like take what I think of the people out of it I'm like please don't hurt yourself that's 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 all I really got. Um, at one point, Raquel Rodriguez was sprawled over the uh, over the corner of the ropes of the top turnbuckle, and Liv Morgan just you know easy as pie comes off of one of the pods with a senton right in the gut. Um, not to be left out of the equation, Tiffany Stratton hit a swanton bomb off of one of the pods onto everybody that was outside the ring. Um, Liv pins Tiffany Stratton after an avalanche oblivion, and the fans boo, which is really weird when you hear the cult following the cult reaction that Liv Morgan usually gets. For her to pin Tiffany Stratton and gets booed, Tiffany Stratton might be over, guys. Um, eventually, Bianca Belair gets the KOD on Raquel. It, it still comes off a bit awkward. She pins Raquel, and our final three are Bianca, Liv, and Becky Lynch, and it doesn't last very long. Liv rolls up Bianca Belair, which is always going to make me smile, and has like half a second to celebrate before she stumbles into a manhandle slam and Becky gets the win. I will say, was this predictable? Most of this card was predictable. I should start I should start with that. Becky winning was predictable. There was this thought that some people had that the uh, Liv Morgan revenge tour was going to be a swerve and we were going to get her and Rhea. Trust me, we need that match at one point. I want to see that match at some point. We're going to get that match at some point. But unfortunately... I'm sorry, it's it's sort of like Rock Roman. Becky Rhea is the bigger match, and they've been teasing it for like a year. Um, I don't know where we go from here. Uh, I mean, Tiffany pinned Naomi, so we could have a Tiffany-Naomi match. Uh, Liv pinned Tiffany. I don't think you're going to put those two against each other. Um, Bianca, Raquel, Jade Cargill, and Nia Jax... I have a strange feeling we're going to get like a powerhouse four-way or something equivalent to that at WrestleMania. I am not sure. Becky is going on to face Rhea. And yes, it is Rhea. Spoiler alert. Um, Judgment Day was the next match. Judgment Day, uh, Finn Balor and Damian Priest defending their undisputed tag team titles against the new Catch Republic. Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate have their own like tag team entrance now, which is nice. Um, Dominic tried to do a Paul Heyman and introduce the crowd, or sorry, introduce his team. The mic went down, the crowd noise went way up, he wasn't able to, etc. Um, this match was given lots of time, lots of tandem offense from the New Catch Republic. The, uh, their double team version of the Tyler Driver 97, uh, is really nice, as well as probably, and I'm stealing this from what culture, of course I am, the best new name for a finisher ever, the, it's a double team burning hammer, burning hammer that they call the Birminghammer, which just makes me smile. Dominic tries to get involved on the outside. He eventually gets ejected. The referee gets a pop for ejecting him. Um, but with all that kerfuffle, uh, Damian Priest manages to hit a second rope avalanche south of heaven on both of their opponents. And then uh, Finn Balor is, is happy as pig shit to just hop in there with a quick coup de gras and get the win. After the match, you see Balor being handed his belt and he can only hand his, handle his belt with one hand and he's sort of flexing his other hand and it looks like he fucked up his thumb so let's hope that that's not a thing. Uh, looked like it was bleeding a little bit. Looked like it was in a really awkward position. But um, anyways, just want the dude to be okay. Let's be real for a second. If you go to a pay-per-view called Elimination Chamber, 
that has two Elimination Chamber matches in it, and the only injury on the show happens in a match that wasn't in one of the chambers. There's there's something amiss there. Not that I want to see anybody get injured ever. That's not the point. But, um, yeah, it got a lot of time. And, uh, you know, this has been the new thing under Triple H. Less matches, more time for match. Now, with something like the Chamber, with something like the Rumble, with something where time is a factor, obviously we know how long those matches are. But, I mean, Judgment Day versus New Catch Republic, it was predictable. It could have been five minutes. But, no, these guys got to sit there and flex quite a bit. Um... Tyler Bate more than once was getting revved up by Pete Dunne and sort of pulling him away from this like weird zen hippie thing that he's doing. Um, the way that Tyler Bate has a mostly power-based offense and still some of it manages to be acrobatic at the same time is another cool little thing that he brings to the table. Obviously, Pete Dunne doing finger stuff, and maybe that's what happened to Pete Dunne, or to, to uh, Finn Balor, I don't know. Um... Match was a lot of fun. As I say, again, very predictable. We're not moving. We're not moving any goalposts here tonight. The Waller effect with with Cody and Rollins. I'm not gonna lie. Kind of fell flat. Now, again, like I say with Indy Hartwell, Grayson Waller is stupidly over in Australia. He was having a whole lot of fun. He was having a whole lot of fun at the press conference where he was getting cheered over some of the baby faces, so that's something to watch. Um, he's actually introduced by Austin Theory, so Austin Theory, you know, the million dollar, or sorry, the million view hit man, whatever they call him, actually introducing Grayson Waller out to do the Grayson Waller effect. Grayson Waller doing a shoey with some random MMA guy in the crowd. Somebody tell me, all right? I don't know where it originated from. I'm not Australian, and I've I've only left Canada a handful of times that I can count on one hand. Please tell me what the origin of the shoey is, because to me, as an outsider, it's just kind of gross. I'm just putting it out there. But he's doing the shoey with random MMA guy in the crowd, a little bit more of the uh, TKO influence, I'm sure. Rollins comes out, Cody comes out, Rollins doesn't care who he faces, blah blah blah, they haven't had that chamber match yet, and he wants to announce that he's going to be cleared in just a few days. Cody, on the other hand, wants a one-on-one -on -one match with The Rock. His plans for night two of WrestleMania are set, him and Roman, for the title, blah blah blah, finish the story, blah blah blah. But up until then, I'm wide open, I want to fight The Rock anytime, anywhere, one-on-one. -on -one. Rollins cuts him off and says, well, you know, it's the bloodline, so it's not really going to be one-on-one, -on -one. I've got your back. They never said tag team match, they never even hinted or intimated to it, they didn't solidify anything. Roman and The Rock weren't there, so this was... Cody throwing shit out into the breeze. We know we're getting to the tag match. None of that was established here. Uh, eventually, eventually they were interrupted by Austin Theory, who even seems to piss off Grayson Waller as he sort of takes over Grayson Waller's show, and he starts doing all the rock quotes, and finally Austin Theory has come back to finish his own story, and then he does the... The what do you call it? The if you smell, la, 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 and Rollins takes him and throws him into the sign, but he's keep, he keeps saying smell until his face hits the sign, which comedically is great. And then Cody, in his suit, hits an awkward looking Cody cutter on him, and Waller just throws his hands up in the air and kind of says, "Hey, you wanted to take over the show." Uh, he doesn't say it, but like the look on his face is like, "Hey, you you wanted to take over? I don't I don't need to help you." Um... I think 
that's situational for being in Australia. I think they know that if if Rollins or Cody had laid a hand on Waller, they might have gotten booed. Maybe. I don't know. Or is it a little bit of... Uh, is it a little bit of ego between uh, A-Town Down Under and they're going to have a mini feud? Because Waller's over and you could make him a face and he could still be a dick. Like, very much what I said about Mustafa Ali at the No Surrender thing. Like, he can still be a dick and, you know, he can do an MJF thing. You know, I'm a scumbag, but I'm your scumbag. Like, he could very much pull something like that off and the guy is super athletic and super acrobatic and the he's got the type of offense in the ring that people want to get behind so something to watch there if we get on the on the lower card of wrestlemania grayson waller versus austin theory because grayson waller's kind of gone face that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world and uh yeah the baby faces get to beat the shit out of austin theory i don't know that's it, it was it was comical uh, it gave the Australians an opportunity to see Grayson Waller. It gave people a chance to sing uh, Rollins and Cody's themes. Uh, they jobbed out Austin Theory. We teased around the tag match and never actually made it a tag match. And I don't know. It was it was fun for fun's sake, but I'd be lying if it said it actually concretely achieved anything. And that's just me being honest. We got the Men's Chamber. We got Kevin Owens. We got LA Knight. We got Bobby Lashley. We got Logan Paul. We got Drew McIntyre. And we got Orton, which I've written as Orto in my notes because I'm special. Um, throughout this entire match, Kevin Owens just continues his gimmick of being the angriest person ever. Logan Paul pissing everybody off at, from outside their pods was great as well. Later on in the match, we see that he's brought in uh, Sharpie into the pod, and he's actually writing on the Lexan. He's drawn a fat picture of Kevin Owens, which is great. Uh, the entry order was LA Knight drew uh, LA Knight and Drew starting, and then Kevin Owens, and then Lashley, and then Orton, and then leaving Logan Paul till last. Orton hits a draping DDT on Kevin Owens on the outside of the cage at one point and sells his back for the rest of the match. The story of Kevin Owens waiting for Logan Paul's or yeah, waiting for Logan Paul's pod to open and then fighting him in the pod and then giving him an absolute ass whipping on the outside and then lashly spearing Logan Paul through another pod is one of those it's one of those things that I would say about Liv Morgan and Tiffany Stratton in the women's match. You might not necessarily like these characters. They, you might not like these wrestlers. They might not be for you. But they are in there taking probably the worst beatings in this match that's already pretty painful looking to get to where everybody else in the match is. And I don't think Logan Paul has to do that because... As we say, it's becoming cliche because they say it on commentary a lot, but it's also true for having like eight matches in the company, the guy is like, uh, he's a fucking savant. That's it. That's all. Um, a lot of people pick on Bobby Lashley's arm, which was all bandaged up, which is apparently from an attack from the, uh, the Final Testament, which was on SmackDown on Friday, which I didn't see because sleep was important and I had a TNA pay-per-view to watch. Um, so they pick on his arm, they pick on his arm, they pick on his arm. After he's speared Logan Paul through a pod, uh, he's sort of limping around a little bit. Drew McIntyre, for the first time of many, sort of shrug emoji, Claymore gets the pin, out goes Lashley. Um, now, there's a little bit of logistics to handle here because as Lashley is leaving the pod, 
in comes AJ Styles with a chair and pulverizes LA Knight with the chair. Like, he's... If, if you've seen Sin City, the, the little yellow face dude, the little yellow face animated dude that Bruce Willis just beats the ever-loving shit out of until he's got no more face, until he's just punching wet goo into the pavement. This is kind of what AJ Styles did with the chair on LA Knight. Drew McIntyre, once again, shrug emoji, gets the pin on LA Knight. Um, Randy Orton hits an RKO on Kevin Owens to get him out of there, and we get this cool story because the people that are left are Logan Paul, Drew McIntyre, and Randy Orton. Logan Paul picking up Kissing the brass knucks that have been in his pants the whole match is kind of questionable, and then he cocks his hand like he's going to do a Superman punch. Filming uh, choreography on this was great, because you see the zoom in on his face while he's, you know, cocking the hand, getting the hand ready. And then Orton, literally out of nowhere with an RKO, leaves you with Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, and here's the thing. And here's where, I once again, I want to make things not sound like I'm being too much of an asshole. But... When it came down to Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton, the match felt bigger. I love Kevin Owens. I really do. LA Knight is great. Lashley is not my favorite, but I know the guy's over and the guy's capable as hell. Logan Paul, as good as he is, is still an attraction. It got down to these two, and it's like, okay, these are two guys... These, first of all, they're two physical guys. They're two guys that are larger-than-life characters. They're two guys that are solidified stars in the company. And when it got... To, it's funny, because it went from six guys to two, and when it got down to these two, the match felt bigger. Although, that didn't last very long. Randy Orton hits an RKO on Drew McIntyre. He's about to pin him. Logan Paul, who's still in the ring, hasn't left yet, hasn't left the cage yet, hasn't even taken his brass knuckles off yet, clocks the fuck out of Randy Orton, and he falls in this really sort of awkward way, and Drew McIntyre, for the next, last, and final time, shrug emoji, pin, Fuck all you guys, I'm going to WrestleMania. This is Drew McIntyre's story now, which is awesome. So what have we done? We've set up LA Knight and AJ Styles. We've set up Logan Paul and Kevin Owens, probably, maybe with Randy Orton thrown in. I'm still hearing rumors and seeing people talking online about Randy Orton's opponent at WrestleMania being Solo Sokoa, which is kind of random, but it would be a cool match for Solo. And obviously Drew McIntyre is going on to face... Seth Rollins, and will probably not even be portrayed as the biggest thing Seth Rollins is doing that weekend. Sorry, Drew. Um, there's also a little bit of me, and I said this somewhere in somebody's chat, wouldn't it be funny if everybody was pulling up to the arena for WrestleMania Night 2 and Damian Priest cashes in on Seth Rollins in the parking lot, so Drew McIntyre's uh, title opportunity once again falls apart, falls away, gets ripped away from him by Damian Priest, which is already a theme, but just in general, Drew thinking the whole world's fucking with him. And then to have, you know, CM Punk go by in like a VIP truck or something and just laugh at him. Be like, hey, 
looks like your WrestleMania thing was laid to waste as well or something. I'm an asshole. I'm the kind of person that would book something like that. Uh, it's not going to happen, but it would be insanely funny because it would be the biggest version possible of the dangerous NXT parking lot, which would just make me smile. You know what else made me smile? Rhea Ripley versus Nia Jax in the main event for the women's world title in Australia in front of this insane crowd, seeing Rhea Ripley not even attempt to maintain her heel character because she's just so happy to be there. Um... My opinion on Nia Jax hasn't changed that much. This match was not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. The stuff on the outside made me cringe a little where she went to slam her on the desk. And not only did the desk not break, but they didn't move any of the monitors and shit off of it, so that kind of sucked. And then Nia Jax tried to do like a leaping elbow off of a rolling chair, which also looked kind of awkward. But it was all for that last 10 seconds or so where they get back in the ring. Rhea Ripley manages to get her with a superplex. Rhea Ripley screams before she's able to get her up for the Riptide, which is the big catharsis moment for all of us. And we go on <coughs> from there. Rhea Ripley in this match, because I'm so used... To, I, I have to imagine, from a creative point of view, this was a fun match for Rhea Ripley. Uh, I don't want to speak for wrestlers, as I say, so I'm only speculating. She's the bigger person in every match. She's the more powerful person in every match. So to have a match like this, where she goes in there looking like a fucking luchador, and she's in there with somebody that can actually throw her around, I have to imagine, for her, creatively, that's a really fun thing. Um... As I say, wasn't terrible. Uh, the chair stuff on the outside was a little bit awkward, not going to lie. Oh, uh, from the last match, I forgot to mention, when AJ Styles hit the Styles Clash on LA Knight on a chair with part of the chair sort of broken and bent upward where we thought he was going to get a punctured lung but didn't. Yeah, maybe maybe look at the chair before, before you drop somebody on it chest first. I'm just saying, no dig at AJ Styles. Um... That's a story to be told another day. It'll be really interesting to see how he reacts to the Good Brothers being on NXT. Apparently that means Tomatonga's coming to NXT. I'm sure that will make everybody happy. Switching back to our main event, because I'm rambling now. Um, yeah, Ripley and Jax was, was fine. As I say, my opinion of Nia Jax hasn't really changed, but it wasn't bad. And it was just somebody big for Rhea Ripley to do power stuff on. And... As I said, they kept her far away from the rest of the Judgment Day stuff, which is fine. They sent her out there on her own to have her home hometown, home country moment. They didn't shy away from, you know, showing her family multiple times in the crowd, which is usually a babyface thing. Rhea Ripley as a heel, if it wasn't already thrown in the in the in the trash bin anyway, because everybody loves her because she's a fucking star. It was definitely thrown in the bin for one night. Couldn't be happier for her either. Like, this is... Uh, this, the Indy Hartwell, Grayson Waller, um, as I say, rumors abound about why Bronson Reed wasn't on the show. Hope everything's good with him. If it was just a decision to keep him off the show, then that's fucked. I don't have anything else to say. Uh, you got really weird stuff. Like, there was a lot of you know, sort of tourism Australia stuff that people were complaining about. But, I mean, they did the same thing in Puerto Rico. They did the same thing in the UK. Like it or not, they do the same thing for Saudi Arabia. It wasn't new. Kevin Owens walking into the arena with a koala and then proceeding to be the, the meanest, angriest guy in the Elimination Chamber was quite a switch. But other than that, um, 
the tourism stuff didn't bug me, and you should acknowledge that you're in a different place. Every time they showed a, an overhead shot of the arena, and you had like the whole skyline of Australia, and it looked fucking gorgeous. Like, do that. You're in a different place. You're with different people. Do that shit. That shit is important. Just don't do the Naomi entrance when it's still daylight, because that was, that was kind of pointless, to be honest. Um, I don't know what else to say. I've had in less than 24 hours i've had two pretty enjoyable pay-per-views i'm very tired i've gone through a whole lot of recording issues with the first half of this because i've had to do it again i hope you guys have enjoyed this i'm sorry that i'm so lazy that i slammed these two uh reviews together but i wasn't doing two separate pods again uh illumination chamber was good if not predictable um no Surrender was kind of good, if not predictable, so everything's sort of going on. No Surrender built to Sacrifice, which is in, like, two weeks, and Elimination Chamber built to WrestleMania, which is farther in the future. I think it's, like, 48 days or something like that. Are you guys enjoying the road to WrestleMania? Are you guys enjoying the road to TNA Sacrifice? <laughs> um... If you're not a TNA person and you had to sort of slog through the first half of this podcast, I'm sorry, but I've already told you why like three times, so what do you want me to say? There's always a fast forward button. Anyways, I'm done rambling. I'm going to edit this, hopefully not delete it, and then go back to bed, probably. I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start another conversation. Keep these conversations going. I fucked up the ending. Once again, I'm out of here. I'm tagging out. Bye, guys.